Welcome back to the show. Hey folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. You are in the right place for the best, award-winningest, and most comprehensive podcast on consciousness. I'm your host, as always, and today I first want to start by welcoming you. Welcome to the new listeners and welcome to the long-time listeners. You guys make this show possible and I only do this for your benefit. Um, so, yeah. Make sure that you guys spread the word, let your friends and family know about the podcast. And also, if you wouldn't mind just taking a quick second and hitting that like or share button at the bottom of whatever social media app you found this at, or if you didn't find it on a social media app, scroll down on the description and there should be a place to make a donation if you so choose. If you find any of this content valuable whatsoever, please consider a donation to the show. I don't take any of the profits. All of it goes back into the show to make the listening experience better for you. And in order to... Uh, to make that point, I stopped doing all ads except for my own ad for my uh, private practice company, Mind Ops. So you'll hear those ads interspersed, but I took out all of their ads because we all know how we hate ads. So part of me doing that is also a stronger reliance on you, the listener, to find value in this podcast and to show that you value it by contributing whatever size donation you choose. So like I said, there should be a link at the bottom of whatever um, podcast app you're listening to. Just scroll down on the description and you should find it there. So like and share and check out our YouTube page too, the Mind Ops YouTube page. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. Go to the YouTube page there. You'll find uh, videos of all these podcasts that we do. That way you can see what the uh, guest and myself look like and what we look like conversing with each other. Uh, it adds a whole new dimension and level to the show. And um, there's also a number of different videos organized into different libraries that I put up there just to kind of expand on a number of the topics that we talk about in the show. So if you're interested in any topic that we speak about, go check out additional links on the YouTube page. And also check out the website, mind-ops.com. There you can leave me comments uh, specifically addressed to me on the comments page. And you can also leave me comments as far as uh, who you'd like to see on the show, um, what sort of topics you'd like discussed, and uh, anything else that you want to learn about that may blow your mind. And uh, it's very helpful to me, too, because every time a listener reaches out and suggests something, it spurs me into gear and motivates me to further look into some of these things that I don't know much about either. So I'm only an amateur at this, and I'm getting better and better with each and each episode um, and each day, learning more about my own consciousness and the consciousness of others. So go check those resources out and uh, open up your mind, open up your ears, and we're going to kick it off with a little rendition from the Arturo Complex.
As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. Okay, folks, today's good news story comes from the goodnewsnetwork.org, and the title of the article reads, Researchers discover a breakthrough with animal studies that has the potential to prevent Alzheimer's. This hit home for me personally because uh, I have a really dear, uh, good friend of mine whose father is currently experiencing uh, both Alzheimer's and dementia, and it is just completely devastating my friend and his family. And uh, to see a loved one um, sort of degrade in their mental and cognitive abilities uh, because of these neurodegenerative diseases is extremely painful. Um, I've never had to experience it myself or with any of my family members, immediate or extended, but just to see the effect that it has on my friend um, as he deals with this issue as his father further degrades uh, just breaks my heart and it pulls me into it and makes me more and more interested and more um, wanting to help in this area. So um, in this research article, or it's not a research article, it is an article about some research. Uh, it talks about a research team at the University of Calgary making a really exciting breakthrough with the potential to prevent and reverse the effects of Alzheimer's. Um, they do warn at the very end of the article, though, that um, they're optimistic about the future of this research, although there needs to be lots of steps to be taken before this, uh, these findings could lead to clinical trials in humans. So this team, uh, led by Dr. Wayne Chen, discovered that limiting the open time of a channel called the uh, ryanodine receptor, uh, ryanodine receptor, uh, which acts like a gateway to cells located in the heart and the brain, reverses and prevents the progression of Alzheimer's disease in animal models. Again, this is only in animals so far, but it is very promising for the future. They also identified a drug that may interrupt the disease process too. Um, so let's see. They said after one month of treatment, the memory loss and cognitive impairments uh, in these models disappeared. Therefore, you know, the, the animal models that were suffering from Alzheimer's um, with memory loss and cognitive impairments were reversed. Um, that the Alzheimer's disappeared completely. Um, really, really cool stuff. Uh, really groundbreaking. And it was recently published in the peer-reviewed journal called Cell Reports. Um, so it says, uh, this work is potentially highly impactful as millions around the world live with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, suffering memory loss and other cognitive impairments with a negative impact on quality of life, like I was describing before. And it doesn't, doesn't just impact the lives of those suffering, but it really does impact the lives of those who end up having to care for these individuals because as your cogn cognitive abilities uh, decline, um, you lose all sorts of functionality, um, losing the ability to feed yourself or to uh, use the bathroom or shower by yourself, uh, and it requires other people. And um, luckily, there are very gracious and loving and giving people that uh, find themselves in these caretaker positions, and although they may not want to be in these positions, take up those responsibilities because they love their loved ones. Um, 
So really cool stuff, uh, really uh, groundbreaking and has great potential for helping um, prevent Alzheimer's or even possibly reverse it. So that is some awesome news from the Good News Network. Now, on to what has been on my mind lately. Um, So much. There's just so much going on. Um, So I do want to, uh, I actually want to share about, um, and this is also some great news, something that might, um, I don't know, spur your consciousness a little bit, but I've been really finding synchronicities and um, what would seem like coincidences in my life recently. And I don't believe that um, these things, um, you know, increase or decrease. I think they're around us all the time. Um, and it's just the, um, just a matter of if we're paying attention to them, it makes it seem like they increase or decrease. So when I'm not paying attention in life uh, in general, it seems like coincidences aren't happening, synchronicities and things are not lining up necessarily. But the more I pay attention, the more I... Yeah, open my eyes and open my awareness to the possibility that the universe is at all times um, manipulating the world around me so that it suits my dreams and my goals and my aspirations. The more and more I see these synchronicities and coincidences. Um, So one of these things that has recently entered my mind uh, has been in the form of music. And if any of you have listened to the show for a while, you know that I am a huge Tool fan. Tool are, to me, the Led Zeppelin of our age and will live on for many, many generations as uh, some groundbreaking um, performers. Just amazing. Um, Well, the lead singer of Tool, Maynard James Keenan, has two other bands, one being Perfect Circle, which I sort of equate to as uh, Tool Light, um, as if it was like a a diet soda or something. Still sounds a bit like Tool to me, but on the lighter side, for some easier listening. And then the third band that he's in is a band called Pucifer, which I would also uh, liken to a version of Tool in that it has similar... um, you know, at least with Maynard's lyrics, has very similar uh, existential, uh, metaphysical underpinnings. But the music itself um, sort of reminds me of as if like Tool was um, mishmashed with an ele- an electronica group. So I consider them like Tool that you can dance to. Anyway, if you haven't heard of Pucifer, you guys need to go check out their new album. And this is really what has been on my mind lately. Uh, Their new album dropped, um, let's see, end of October, uh, right before my birthday. And it is called, um, I believe, let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, Existential Reckoning. I'm looking at it right now. And the album cover is so cool. Uh, It has like this uh, shaman-looking character in the middle surrounded by two uh, gray aliens and all this sort of uh, sacred geometry around them um, just really cool to to even get into the symbolism and pick apart the uh, the album cover but man this album has melted my face off Every time I listen to it, uh, I listen to it on my birthday. Uh, I had a dance party by myself in my living room uh, as we watched through the window. Um, the parents and the kids that were getting scared by all of our cool Halloween decorations in the yard. 
and uh, I had my headphones on and was just jamming to this album. And uh, man, it makes you want to move. Um, some great songs that I might recommend. So go check out uh, Pucifer, Existential Reckoning. That's the album. And some of my favorite songs so far on the album um, are, number one, my most favorite on the album is called Bullet Train to Iowa. The reason being is that um, during the uh, during the song, every time he refers to the to the word Iowa, uh, it's actually part of a, a bigger word that he expands on into ayahuasca, uh, and we've talked about that substance here on that podcast. Um, and so this whole song is all about um, the mystical experience as experienced through psychedelics and um, what it is like from a first-person perspective to sort of blast off into another realm uh, and say goodbye to um, your everyday 3D reality, to your ego, and even to the, to the uh, world as you know it, um, only to come back later. A fascinating song, um, and it makes me get goosebumps every single time I listen to it. Um, another great song on this album that I'm really liking is uh, called Fake Affront, and it's it's really all about um, the fakeness um, and, and the mask and the, um, yeah, just the fake personality that uh, politicians put out to all of us, especially during this election year, to try and win our votes. And uh, it's sort of um, Maynard's way to to come back and say, you know, you need to stop um, trying to trick us with your masks and your your fakeness because I see right through it and you just need to shut up. Um, and it's pretty awesome. Um, so check out those two songs in particular. Um, but I just found it so fascinating that uh, these guys in Pucifer had probably been working on this album back in 2019 at least, uh, if not further back. They just released it in 2020, but, you know, they were working on it before any of this COVID stuff happened, before um, the news about the election really picked up, and uh, before the social unrest that came this last summer. And it just amazes me at how the band and uh, Maynard in particular with his lyrics was able to like look at the state of humanity and the state of um, our country here in the United States and the state of, you know, the social constructionism of, of all these things um, and really project to the future and predict um, this existential reckoning that we are all going through this year. So I think it's a very fitting album title um, and a very fitting album for this year in particular. I know for sure in the future, whenever I listen to this album, I am going to be taken back to the year 2020. And a lot of people have been saying this is one of the worst years that we have experienced in our lifetime. And I like to counter that by saying this is probably one of the best years that we are going to have experienced when we look at it um, from the future in hindsight. Because the more we're challenged with all these existential crises and these uh, these social crises and all the things going on, um, it forces us to grow and it forces us to adapt to a new version of reality and it forces us to really confront our own mortality and the mortality of our loved ones and our friends and our family and uh, look at ourselves and really, you know, really take a close look and look beyond the veil, look beyond the ego part of ourself that is always like 
projecting these things out um, into this fake identity that we make for ourselves. But it really makes us, um, forces us to look below the surface and really question, you know, who are we as individuals? Who are we as a society? And what are we doing? What are we doing here on this planet? What are we doing to the planet? And what can we do in the future to correct our actions rather than just going about our everyday business on automatic pilot and continuing to wreck this planet and wreck society and wreck ourselves as individuals with all the horrible, horrible things that we do? So give it a listen. Existential Reckoning by Pucifer. That has been on my mind an insane amount. Um, I'll be teaching jujitsu tonight, and uh, my students will get um, their first dose of this Existential Reckoning album. I hope they like it. So, without further ado, let's introduce our guest for today. What a fantastic show it is. Uh, we are almost at the 90-show mark. Uh, very soon, we'll be at 100 shows, and that will be an amazing um, an amazing accomplishment for me, personally, and for all those who have stuck with me since the beginning, I want to thank you so much for continuing to listen. So our guest today is a very, very dear friend of mine, a special guy. Uh, his name is Sean Lawler. And Sean is a freelance journalist, uh, mostly writing these days about psychedelics and consciousness. He writes for a number of different publications that you might have heard of. Um, you can check him out at sean.p.lawler.com. Um, and I'll also post that in the description below so that you can go to it and find out some of the uh, publications that he's been writing for. Um, he has a master's degree in creative writing, a bachelor's degree in philosophy, which we definitely took advantage of today on the show as we dug into the philosophy and metaphysics of the self and of consciousness. Um, but he also likes to do uh, fiction writing on his own. And we also get into that too and how he uses his uh, fiction writing not only as a way to... Um, express what is going on in his mind and to help others sort of resonate with um, human concepts that we all deal with. But he also uses it as a form of his own therapy to kind of work through um, certain characters and certain voices within his mind um, to try and make sense of things. Very creative. Um, he's also currently pursuing another master's degree at Naropa University um, and hopes to become a psychedelic therapist. Uh, he considers himself a travel of inner and outer worlds on his quest of integration. And Sean and I met, um, and we talk about how we met on the podcast, but we met through a, a number of synchronicities uh, that happened within just a day, a single day. You know, I think we cite three or four different synchronicities that happened on that day that we met. And it really brought us together and uh, it turned into, um, you know, a friendship um, and a really cool relationship where he's interviewed me and, and written about me and my interest in psychedelics and flow states. Uh, we've shared uh, psychedelic spaces together. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, really deep and impactful things, uh, personal experiences that we've had, and also our approaches to exercise and athletics and how that um, factors into all these things that we are so passionate about. So without further ado, here's Sean Lawler. Um, and uh, yeah, let's get into it, guys. I really hope you enjoy it. This was a really fun podcast to do. Sean and I had a great time, and I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. 
Conversations with the Mind podcast, where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, Shane LaMaster. We're here for episode number 89 with very special guest, Sean Lawler. How are you, sir? Doing well. It's good to be here, Shane. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's This is early in the morning for me for recording a podcast, so I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you making the time um, this early. It's not even that early. We're just, you know, I'm a night owl, so 9.30 yeah. is, is a little early to get my brain working, but... Um, this is a very welcome sort of wake up call for my brain and my consciousness, uh, you know, and it's a pleasure always to talk to you and, and share ideas. So thank you. Likewise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nice. Um, so the first question I always ask uh, is the only standard question that I have for any of my guests and you've heard the podcast before. So hopefully you saw this coming. Uh, I'm not blindsiding you, but that question is, um, so the, the podcast is called Conversations with the Mind. And I want to know for you, you know, when I ask you or when I say that phrase, conversations with the mind, what sort of things come up for you in your internal consciousness, whether it be, you know, visualizations or imagery or um, just ideas about what that phrase um, means for you specifically and, and yeah, how it sits with you? Yeah. Um been thinking about this a little bit it's an interesting just phrasing as your title um i was thinking like capital m mind so like collective mind so my mind my personal mind pretty quickly goes to carl jung and a collective unconscious and just kind of thinking along the lines of like a, a universal mind that we're all sharing in in some capacity um and almost like in engaging to like our two personal minds, we can like transcend that in a way and like converse, yeah, with one another, like Sean conversing with Shane, but also like getting beyond ourselves through the art of conversation and flow state, as I know you're very interested and well-versed in. Um, in terms of images, hmm. kind of got this image of med someone meditating and like a closed eyes with like a wide open third eye just like kind of beaming into some uh colorful place beyond that person so yeah, yeah i've been doing a lot of like guided uh I, I wouldn't even say guided just like journeys through imagery in my own mind recently so I guess that's kind of fresh, just like um, traveling through the inner images for insights and reflection. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you certainly have a way with words. Um, and yeah, I mean, I chose the title uh, on purpose, obviously, with intention behind it. Uh, but I, I chose that specific title because I feel like you know, it has so many different meanings and a different meaning for each and every person, you know, um, and how they engage with 
their own mind and the collective mind and what that means. Um, but the more and more, you know, this, this, this podcast is a consciousness based podcast and it's, it's really about exploring this thing we call consciousness, our own individual consciousness, but also the, the larger C consciousness and uh, the inner interplay between the two and what the hell is happening on this, on this planet, in this, in this dimension with that. Um, and the more I dig into consciousness itself, um, the more I'm actually, I'm actually considering uh, renaming the podcast. Uh, I'm not sure if I can, if I can technically do that uh, on the platform without like having to start a whole new one. I don't want to do that. You know, I've put a lot of work and a lot of years into this so far. So I have to do a little more research into that, but I've thought of renaming it instead of conversations with the mind um, being conversations with consciousness Um, just because um, well, right now, and you have you have a background in philosophy, so this this I think is going to be a uh, very interesting conversation for us, and and super insightful for me. Um, right now, for my in my doctoral studies, I'm taking um, a class in the philosophy department, uh, taught by the chair of the philosophy department at Colorado State. Um, he's actually going to be uh, on my dissertation committee. He's going to be a committee member. Uh, really cool guy. Hopefully, I have him on the podcast soon. But this philosophy course is um it's the metaphysics of the self and Whoa, yeah um, awesome. <laughs> it is it is phenomenal dude um i go into class uh, twice a week on campus for this class and every time i go into class i feel like okay i've got some sense of what is going on um and what this whole consciousness thing and reality is all about and how they're interwoven and then each class my mind is just blown completely apart, you know, and I leave the class being like, I have no idea what's going on, you know, and that's, that's the kind of class I love, right? Because it's constantly pushing me and challenging me to grow and to change my ideas and values. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, you know, for the, I don't know, for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years since my undergrad, when I was taking Buddhism classes, um, I felt very strongly, um, before that I was an atheist, but, uh, I felt very strongly that I was, um, a Buddhist and I've been following like a, like a Buddhist path. Um, you know, my, and even like my wedding was a, was a Buddhist jujitsu ceremony, you know? Whoa. Um, yeah, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> I have no uh, concept of what that looks like, except that it sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, we got married up at the Mishawaka, um, and my wife and I both wore uh, jujitsu geese. Uh, we got married on a jujitsu mat. Uh, all of our bridesmaids and groomsmen were all in jujitsu geese. Uh, my first MMA coach was our officiant. Um, I got uh, promoted to brown belt. Like as the ceremony was going on, my wife like stopped the ceremony mid ceremony, and my coach, who was one of my groomsmen, surprised me with a belt promotion. Um, and then my wife, uh, after our first kiss, uh, hip tossed me right in front of the whole crowd. Um, <laughs> and it was really cool. And, you know, the Buddhist aspects were, the, were just that we, you know, we wanted to remove all of the, the Western Christian or Catholic undertones that commonly go with marriage um, and broaden it out to a greater spiritual foundation. And instead of rings, 
Uh, we exchanged mala beads. Uh, we had been wearing each other's mala beads for the entire year prior. Um, from the moment we got engaged, um, you know, I handed her my beads and she handed me hers and we charged them up with our positive energy for a year. And then we exchanged them on our wedding day. And so I wear mine every day. And, um, and yeah, and then afterwards, um, my coach insisted that I uh, strip off my, my shirt and everyone in the, in the wedding uh, who wanted to um, whipped me with uh, jujitsu belts as is common for a jujitsu promotion. Um, so that was fun as it's like a rite of passage. So that was the wedding, but um, I wanted to, to get back to this Buddhist thing. Um, so like for 10 or 15 years, I've been practicing Buddhism and felt like I was a Buddhist. And then just a couple of weeks ago in this metaphysics of the self class, um, I think I found out that I was not, a, I'm not a Buddhist. Um, Whoa. yeah, it, it was pretty, pretty it was ground shaking, you know, because, um, you know, I, I agree with, and I, I resonate really strongly with most Buddhist concepts, but the idea that, um, the core of everything is simply empty and that there's no, there's no, um, ultimate consciousness or, or, uh, anything like that just didn't really sit with me. And we started exploring, um, this ancient Indian tradition called the, uh, Advaitin school, um, which has a lot of beliefs in line with Buddhism, but they believe that, um, in uh, similar to like a lot of Hindu beliefs that there's like these multi-layered consciousnesses, uh, we're currently living in what's called Jiva consciousness or embodied consciousness within our body. Um, which is uh, the illusory or the the uh, the false self, right? And then above that is the Atman consciousness, which is sort of, it's not necessarily like a being or an entity or anything like that, but it's it's described as just the mere potentiality of consciousness that it uh, it holds the potentiality of all consciousnesses that can be individuated underneath it. And then there's still another layer above that called the Brahman consciousness which is sort of the uh the ground construct or or the space in which consciousness can even come about um and i was like holy shit like that's that's a lot more in line with what i in intuitively feel about myself much more than like the buddhist concept of no self or complete emptiness um i guess i just want to believe that there is higher and higher levels and that there's um a purpose, right? Because if there's no self or everything's empty, um, my next question is like, well, then what's the purpose of our existence in the first place? Um, so there's got to be something. Um, yeah, so with philosophy and this metaphysics of the self class, I'm doing a lot of talking here. <laughs> but uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah, we start picking apart, you know, the ideas of subject versus object and can consciousness uh, exist without an object for it to be directed towards. And if there are objects in the world or thoughts as objects, um, they must be, pre or they're presented to us through experience, but what and who are they being presented to, you know? Um, so that's the phenomenology exactly so that's like the subject side of it so um so 
consciousness could be this subject that that our experience and phenomena are presented to. But every time we try and flip the lens around and try and examine consciousness, it becomes the object of that uh, equation. And therefore the subject piece of self like dissolves and disappears. And it's all, it's in this infinite loop of like, you can't, you can't observe it. You can't observe it. The more you try, it just keeps eluding you. Um, so interesting stuff. In my undergrad, I took like philosophy of mind and philosophy of science too, but I'd be interested to hear from my long rant here uh, and your background in philosophy. Like, how do you take all that stuff? It's got to be pretty interesting to you too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I was with you every second of that. Um, I have, I have a lot of questions actually from like what everything you said. I just, yeah, ask away curiosities. Let's, let's do it. Let's dig in. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess I had a question come up at the beginning of that, which I think you touched on, but like maybe just to get out more explicitly, I think that started when you were talking about changing the name of your podcast from conversations with mind conversations with consciousness so i'm curious what the difference is in your mind between the mind and consciousness it's such a good question and um again when i started this podcast i thought they were one in the same you know i thought the mind yeah. was consciousness but the more i dig into you know uh, writings of other much smarter philosophers um before our time um we're finding that they're asking these questions, which, which end up leading us down pathways that differentiate the two, you know, um, that consciousness is not the mind, um, that mind is sort of a subset or it's a, it's a way of experiencing consciousness it's through the mind, right? Just, just like, it's like a sliver, right? And another sliver is like the body and we can experience consciousness through the body, um, through our visual sense. So that's, so, uh, in different traditions, there's like visual consciousness, tactile consciousness, um, auditory consciousness, mind consciousness, um, awareness consciousness. Um, what else is there? Yeah, but there's, there's like all these different slivers and mind is just like one sliver of those things. Um, so, and you're a meditator, right? And so in meditation, we, when we get skilled enough, we can turn off the monkey mind, we can turn off the chatter in our mind, but there's okay. still, there's still consciousness there, right? There's still like a base awareness that's aware of itself being aware. Um, and so mind is not like, a necessary component for consciousness to exist, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's so, like consciousness like mediated through the mind or like it's one of the channels of like flow of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's like a, it's, you know, I'm thinking more of more and more of the mind as like a, like a tool, you know, um, rather than like a base state. Um, but it's, it's like a tool, just like our body, right? We can go to the gym and we can lift and we can make our body, uh, we can sharpen that tool to work for us and we can do the same thing with the mind. You know, we can, uh, and that's what I do in my private practice is really help people optimize their mind and sharpen it, um, as a tool so that they can use it. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. considering changing my podcast because I think conversations with the mind might be too limited in scope when really I'm trying to get at the bigger, the bigger question of consciousness. It's like the mind is pretty specifically like mental content like cognitive 
content, whereas consciousness can like filter into things that don't have mental content necessarily. Like I'm kind of thinking of you hear like plants have a kind of consciousness and like, I don't think they think in the ways that we do. I mean, we can't find like a brain in there, but like the consciousness of um, like growing towards the sun, something like this, this patterned way. I don't, I don't feel like expert enough to really be able to like talk about that, but um, yeah, just this manifest manifestation of larger consciousness without the mediation of a mind. Yeah. You know, I think um, the human mind is really unique in its capacities. You know, we have the ability for self-reflection and reflexivity and um, consciously and intentionally changing our ways of thinking and our ways of behaving and acting on the world. Um, and, you know, who we don't know because we're not trees, uh, you know, they would be the experts and maybe we, we could get on some ayahuasca or something and ask them. That's what came to my mind. It's like, in fact, I got a little, little taste <laughs> of that one particular experience. Yeah, for ayahuasca. sure. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, well, I did it in the States, um, but it was this group from uh, Columbia that came up to bring the medicine. They'd um, come up like three times a year or so to the US and do, I think, three retreats every time they come. And um, I went with a girlfriend at the time, and I had never had a bad trip. So, you know, I'd taken mushrooms and LSD. And well, I guess I had a freaky experience on salvia, but that was, uh, that felt a little different. But I kind of went in, it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's, you know, making this big deal on ayahuasca, like, I think I'm ready. Like, I don't, I don't have bad experiences. And I just got destroyed, like, absolutely wrecked. Like, the first drink, not so much happened. I was just kind of sitting there meditating, saw some colors, it felt really like pleasant. And it was just super mild. And so I was kind of sitting there thinking like, oh yeah, this is nice, but like people making a big deal out of this thing, that's not that big of a deal. So I went for the next drink and like by the time I was back at my mat, there was like these colorful tendrils just like forming out of the air. I was just like, oh damn. Like I could feel something basically inciting in my body that I hadn't felt before. And I just had this instantaneous sense like, okay, you're about to experience this. And within a few minutes, it was like, I felt terror coming on because what I was seeing and experiencing my body was way, way, way more intense than anything I had ever experienced on psychedelic or in general. And um, it's kind of like, okay, just breathe. Like you got your breath. It's all good. You're gonna be fine. And then all of a sudden, like everyone just started puking and just like all these horrible, like horrible sounds around. And this woman started screaming and she ran outside screaming and her cries were just like echoing into the night. And all of a sudden it was met by the howling of all these coyotes in the woods. So there's just like this cacophony of screams and coyotes screaming. And I looked around, I was like, am I, is this, is this for real? Like, am I experiencing this? Am I making this up? 
and it became clear that it was happening but um yeah just the the boundary between uh anything was gone and i i totally got terrified and it, it, it was it was like getting thrown into a different dimension of consciousness and not i mean not being ready but also getting really important lessons and i think a lot of those lessons were around ego mm-hmm. and like the way that i came to it in this sense of like oh, yeah, yeah, i'm good like i'll be fine i'm a psychonaut blah 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 whatever like I had to get my ass kicked and I did. And I was really afraid and I really experienced fear. And there was like, it was a fear of just losing complete control and like being unwilling to like loosen my grip on what I knew quote knew was true. And then all of a sudden just having that forced away and feeling sick and awful and scared but uh, when I finally like found the strength to stand up and go to the, there's like a bucket for people to purge into. Um, one of the facilitators you know, like signaled him, he came over and helped me. And he was just like, just like this deeply embodied person who was just so physically grounded and just like exuding this like energy of strength and I just remember like gripping his shoulder and it just like anchored me in this place and just through that process and then like surrendering to like just letting myself heave and purge there was a releasing that happened and like there's still fear but um the whole experience transformed into like it just it felt kind of like a rite of passage in a way like I had I was able to move or invited into a different um, uh, I don't even know just a, a different level of consciousness or being just initiated into this dimension of consciousness that felt like the consciousness of like the jungle it felt really mm. organic and plant like and um even though i wasn't in the amazon like it still felt like it was there and uh yeah just like the realities of the the dark side of that like the the underbelly of the earth and like the i was just having these visions of like magus and just these really gross looking things that are real they're there but like I'd rather not look at them typically and just kind of cut them off from my mind. But then all of a sudden, like, here they are. Like, what were you afraid of? It's kind of this experience. So yeah, it felt like a consciousness of something organic. And I mean, something I can never explain in words, but like of the earth, the jungle, a, a spirit like or a whole host of spirits not just one spirit is part of something way 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 bigger than me mm-hmm. and anyone in that room the experience so yeah. was it kind of like um like gaia consciousness or like uh, the consciousness of earth as a 
as a system of organisms that are all independent, but still part of this much larger system. You said there was like a plant feeling yeah. to it. And we yeah. started this story. Um, I was, I was wondering like if you had gotten a, a sense from, from your experience of like what it was like to be a plant or to be a tree or to be that sort of living being with its own form of consciousness through your experience. Hmm. That's a really mm-hmm. interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, because I basically, all notions of like I and my identity were completely, I mean, not just gone, like ridiculed in a way, like it just made a mockery of, and I was just organic matter. I was just this, this physical matter that's going to decay as well. Sorry, there's background noise. Sounds like someone's like doing a something outside should pass soon yeah no worries Um, yeah so I think I did get that experience and it was hard to surrender into but yeah that Gaia consciousness resonates um I think animism is this idea that like each each being each uh, thing has its own spirit like its own independent spirit I kind of get mixed up sometimes between animism and pantheism yeah or maybe panpsychism panpsychism I don't think I know that one yeah panpsychism is is similar that they they espouse that every piece of matter has its own uh form of consciousness um and I'm not yeah I'm not a hundred percent sure if they think that inanimate objects like rocks and and things like that have consciousness but um you know, sometimes I've, I've thought about, I've definitely thought about this and I, sometimes I'm, I'm inclined to believe that every bit of matter has some form of consciousness, whether we could measure it or not. So like a rock, uh, definitely the mountain, right. That we live right next to, I think has its own living consciousness as a living, moving, regenerating uh, creationary being, you know, I can feel that when I go up to the mountain and and meditate and connect with it. Like I can feel a spirit to the whole thing. Um, Mm. but you know, some, some belief systems believe that, uh, you know, every single atom or particle in this universe, um, has in itself, like a, like a holographic piece of that, giant sea consciousness as part of it um just in its in its mere existence um it sort of presupposes that it has a connection to or some aspect of that larger consciousness that makes me think of quantum physics yeah totally but you get to that subatomic level and it's just like movement unpredictable motion and space between these subatomic particles, even in something that looks completely static, like this mug I'm holding, that there's a flurry of unpredictable activity that depends on, like it's it's shifted when I look at it. Mm-hmm. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I I totally feel what you mean. Um, you use the word spirit. Do you? Do you use that like interchangeably with consciousness or is that something different? Um, you know, that's a tough question and hard to put my finger on. Um, 
I think I probably use it interchangeably um, by mistake. Um, if I were to really think about it, I would probably I would probably say that they're different. Um, the way that I'm conceptualizing consciousness these days is sort of like a um, it's it's not an entity, it's not an object per se, but it's more like a stream or a flow of um, potentiality. So consciousness is like this stream of infinite potential um, that manifests itself in various forms and shapes and meanings and thoughts and ideas, um, largely due to like quantum laws, right? So quantum science has, has shown us the observer effect where, like you said, like all the particles are always moving around us in, in what seems like chaos, but is probably more uh, ordered than we think it is. Um, and then as soon as we observe or turn our attention towards something, then all of a sudden those particles instantaneously form into like a, an object, or if we turn our attention towards uh, a mind concept or whatever, it forms into a thought um, so that it can be further observed. Um, but then as soon as we look away, you know, those particles are back to infinite potentiality and moving around. And we don't really know um, because we can't, we can't uh, observe those particles in a state of non-observance, you know, we can't like turn away and see what's going on with them when we're not looking at them, but we know what happens to them when we look at them, that they, they form into this shape. So I think of consciousness more as like this infinite field of potentiality, just waiting to be manifested um, by, um, by intentional awareness, you know, or, or focused attention towards something. Whereas spirit, Spirit uh, has more of like a feeling to me as like, like a form of entity, not necessarily like a physical entity, like, like most people think of it, but almost like a, like a transparent, translucent uh, presence that has intelligence of some sort, but that's um, sort of, uh, maybe it's maybe it's it's interwoven with consciousness in a way that the spirit of things helps to create the form or helps to create the yeah the forms or uh, that we see um or that we can perceive uh, maybe it, it is it's the boundary line or something that that holds the space or holds the container of the things that we see uh, but it definitely seems like it has um intentionality behind it you know spirit has intentionality whereas consciousness doesn't have any intentionality per se it's just the pure potential of anything um, and then we when we direct our intentionality towards it it sort of manifests in, in a way that um, that we can make meaning of it through symbols or language or ideas or thoughts so I guess that's how I'm parsing out the two um, but I'm I'm not an expert Impressive. yeah yeah. Yeah. That's a, I don't, I don't know if I could even try to parse out those two. I think I kind of use them interchangeably, but that was cool to follow you through that. One thing that was interesting when you were talking um, about 
quantum physics and you know the observer effect and you mentioned that also in terms of like mind concepts mm. i'd never really thought of that i just thought of it like in terms of physical concepts but it would make sense that that trend would be the same with mental concepts and it just kind of makes me think of like how people get stuck in particular ways of perceiving like by focusing on a concept so intently that it just it becomes dense and like so dense that there's no other concept to see around that and just how like a, a fluidity of of mind and perception can I think allow us to to view from more perspectives simultaneously so everything doesn't just condense around um, one thing yeah it's like what what you focus on solidifies or what you focus on grows right so yeah like if you're stuck in a like a depressive state you know well pay attention to the types of thoughts you're thinking you know are you thinking mostly negative depressing thoughts and if you are you know the collective uh, accumulation of those things sort of solidifies into this state which you call depression and then you feel it right um but i think the same thing is possible for states of joy you know, if you focus intently on joyful thoughts and joyful feelings, um, I think that can solidify and become your reality. Um, but yeah, like in meditation, I mean, you'll notice like as you try to systematically shut down um, or, or disconnect your, your sense of self from the content of your mind and just let it run the way it runs, you'll notice that there's like there's like thousands and millions of thoughts and, and ideas and concepts like going in and out all the time. Um, And then as soon as you find one that like sparks your interest and you turn your attention to it, then that thought becomes much louder than the rest of the chatter and the noise running through your mind. And it, it, you know, it solidifies, like you said. Uh, And then we got to practice again and come back to the breath and kind of let go of our connection or attachment to that one thought and just, pay attention to all these things going on in our mind all the time. I think that's the nature of mind is just constantly providing us with, uh, with potential directions to follow, you know, um, that we're sort of extrapolating from this larger stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then just when the self or when, when we take one of those concepts or ideas and, um, lose the distinguishing points between that and who we are. Like we wrap up our identities within this idea or this concept or this descriptor, or something. Then we like filter out all those thousands, millions of other potential ideas that don't fit that concept. And then as they come in, they become threatening. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I'm not that. I'm this. I know I'm this. So I can like think of my ayahuasca experience Mm. or several other psychedelic experiences in that way of like, you know, it's this unconscious thing. Like, I think I was pretty open-minded, but still I was like very attached to certain ideas of like who I am. Uh, Even like I'm this person, Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm a person, like even that got completely destroyed. So yeah just to be able to like hold our concepts of identity lightly, I think is um, a really, really helpful way of like loosening the ego structures Mm -hmm. a little bit, which 
makes me think of the like the neuroscience research in um, Imperial College London with uh, psilocybin and like the default mode network mm -hmm. and how um, high dose psilocybin experiences like um, not deactivates but like really lessens the uh, uh, activity in the default mode network where they've like mapped our sense of self like our self concept small so, s yeah small s yes yeah yeah totally that small s large s distinction yeah it would be like movement from small s like ego self like i am these things i know these things and they've correlated like heightened default mode network activities like depression and anxiety and so like lessening that and moving more into call it like this entropic state of mm -hmm. consciousness that's maybe more like capital s mm -hmm. self like wow i'm not just these ideas that i have some of which i created some of which were given to me there's there's this field of potentiality like you're talking about and I, I i hear you saying a lot about like intention and like where we choose to focus mm -hmm. and like how that shift um energizes things like energizes motions concepts so yeah amidst all this i never seems like give up my I don't know if it's an attachment or just like a belief in some degree of freedom mm. like that we do have some freedom of the will of where to look yeah where to direct our intention yeah i feel like we always have a choice um we it, you know it's only up to us to realize that we have that choice and then take action with it um you know this idea of ego is not a new thing necessarily although in the west um it's primarily been talked about since like Freud and, and um, you know, psychologists like that who, who put their own terminology to it. But I'm learning so much in this class. And, um, you know, like I spoke about before, ancient Indian um, traditions talk about the ego structure as, uh, you know, this jiva self, J-I-V-A. And it's this, uh, it's a very real piece of consciousness um, it's real in the fact that we experience it, um, you know, in our reality, um, but it's also an illusion in that, um, you know, we, we block ourselves by focusing so much on this uh, ego self um, that we block ourselves from that large S and we focus so much on the small S of self. <clears throat> and Buddhists would say something very similar that, you know, this, this, everyday 3d human reality that we think is real is simply an illusion that we need to work really hard to try and escape from that illusion uh, neuroscience with their default mode network speaking about the same thing you know the default mode network being um, <clears throat> our conditioning or our, our our conditioning into ego um, and into small self in order to get along in the world um, and Buddhists would say, you know, by focusing on that small S self, that is the cause of all your suffering, right? If you think about everything in your life that is causing you suffering, um, it all comes down to that you're, you're devoting too much uh, energy and attention to this illusory self or this, this false self. Um, you're attached to it. And I, so I, I love the idea of being able to 
at first I was like, well, screw the ego self. I want to just get rid of it and just live in the higher, uh, big S self. But um, the more I look into it, you know, you can't destroy, uh, you can't destroy that ego. You can't destroy that small S because it's, it's a part of the large S, you know, you can't just like you can't destroy or create um, matter in the universe. It, it just is recycled, right? You still, you can't do that with aspects of yourself. You have to learn to accept ego, love ego, um, not indulge in ego, but still, you know, give it the, the attention that it deserves and also um, not let it control your life entirely, right? So there's this fine balance between having a greater understanding of large S and what that means and detaching yourself from the ego in a healthy way. But you also got to live in this world, right? You also got to, you also have to, yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it does, it does have functional purpose and, and there's a reason for it to be here and be with us uh, and be in our conscious experience. Otherwise it wouldn't be here. Um, so we have to find a way to use ego in a constructive way, a way that hopefully is more focused on like bettering the planet or bettering ourselves or helping others rather than um, trying to bolster the ego or, uh, you know, get one over on other people or something like that. Um, that's like too attached to it. And you were talking about in your ayahuasca experience, um, this instance where you felt like this tension, right? Cause you're holding on to like, no, this is who I am. Like, I don't want to let go. And then yeah. the purging experience itself, um, you know, I've experienced that too in, in ceremony where I feel nausea come up and I feel like, Oh shit, I got to puke and I'm trying to hold it in. I'm trying not to puke. And that is just me trying to hold on to that ego trying to hold on to that control. Right. Mm. But then as soon as you allow the purging to happen and you just give into it and you just like, like hardcore, Mm -hmm. like that, that is that action or that uh, initiation into that letting go completely. Mm. Um, You let go of complete control of your body in that moment and just let that stuff flow out. Yeah. Then immediately afterwards, like you said, in your experience, like, this whole new dimension opened up to you and the fear was still there, but it was transformed. Yeah. Something shifts. Yeah. So you, you're talking about ayahuasca specifically, like you've said. In yeah. Ceremony. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've uh, sat in uh, peyote circles too with the native American church yeah. and, and noticed similar things too, where I'm like really trying to hold in the nauseous feeling because I don't want to, I don't want to purge. I don't want to throw up. It feels so uncomfortable or um, I'm going to be so embarrassed or others are going to judge me because of it, or they're going to hear me puking. And it's just, yeah, so I get those too. yeah. And then it's, you know, but look, I mean, if you look at the structure of that, those thoughts, like I don't want to throw up, I don't want others to judge me. Right. It's all focused on yeah. that ego self, right? right. You're so worried about others judging Shane or Sean this human entity, like none of that shit matters. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm so worried about like how I'm being perceived yeah. by these like 30 strangers who I'll probably never see again. Right. 
is such a trend like that is manifest in so many different facets of life like this worry of how i'm being perceived that's just not helpful like well uh, there's something helpful about it i mean if i abandon it completely like you can get in trouble but but you know it just becomes a prison at some point and that's that's been like one of the prisons that i've had to like find my way out of because i got that those uh i don't know interjects or stories about like you know basically who i am is dependent on how other people see me that was kind of the ethos that i was like raised in mm. so i mean i was just like um i mean really i think until i was like 20 years old like just didn't have any original thoughts like i was just completely wrapped up in like a constant like un underlying tension of how i was being perceived and it's just been such like a it's been a harsh at times unraveling process um but like it manifests in an ayahuasca ceremony in that way like it's the overemphasis on something that i cannot control ends up like feeding and creating some kind of persona or it's way of trying to be in the world that meets these illusory expectations that are impossible to be met which has like the net effect of like never being enough or never acting right or never whatever it might be so to to flip that script and like release some of those attachments and you know it's not like i'm i did ayahuasca and purge a couple times and now i'm free from like worrying about that shit like it still comes up um but it helps it has helped and um i can catch those a little better now like when i'm when i'm feeling that that tension in my body and worrying about things that just aren't a helpful use of energy mm. But so, at the same time, it's not just a cognitive shift either, I'm realizing. So I have a question for you, and I'm, I'm purely curious about this, but I think it would also be, you know, extremely helpful for a lot of listeners out there who are, you know, we're current, we're always currently in the midst of um, hopefully trying to better ourselves. Um, and definitely the listeners of this podcast, they wouldn't be listening if they weren't, um, in that process of, of self, uh, self-discovery and self-actualization. So my question for you is, you know, you, we've been talking about how important it is to um, disconnect from those ego structures just to kind of save yourself the, the suffering that comes with attachment to them. And that's, that's all in good and well. Um, but I want to ask you, like, how do you personally do that? You know, it's a, it's a process. Uh, obviously, um, plant medicine work and other medicine work is part of that process. But on a day, you know, on a day to day, week to week basis, how do you go about? Um, I guess recognizing those 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 programs, those maladaptive programs when they are functioning, how do you recognize them? How do you change them in the moment? How do you reflect on them? Like, how do you go about doing it? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question, Shane. That's a really good question. Um, two things come to mind. 
Um, one's probably the, the cliche answer of meditation and mindfulness, but um, the way I've been practicing that recently has been really informed by, uh, you know, internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess for real quick for listeners who may not be as familiar with it, um, it's like a, a, a newer school or model of psychology and counseling that understands the psyche as um, an interrelated, uh, a system of interrelated parts that are in relationship with one another. And basically just like we have individual people living inside of our minds and our bodies who can like kind of take over at different times and they fall under a few specific categories. So I won't like extrapolate it and like all the detail now and I'm definitely still learning, but basically this model is giving me a way of recognizing things that are happening inside of me um, and being able to understand it in terms of like a category. So it's, it's just kind of gives like a better map or a helpful map of the inner territory. So um, like one of the, uh, one of the categories is called a, firefighters it's like these are the parts of ourselves that like when something uh, something that we pushed away called an exile so some part of ourself that wasn't accepted that we had to lock away in a room because it's not allowed to to be here there's too much pain well when that starts to rise into consciousness these firefighter parts take over to just do whatever they possibly can to avoid the catastrophe of this exile coming out. So maybe it will be to, you know, go to whatever your addiction might be like, um, drink a bunch or something, or just smoke a bunch, like whatever, whatever it might be addiction or just this really reactive impulsive behavior. So I'm starting to recognize like, um, when, a really intense internal response comes up and I'm like, Oh, I want to go like smoke some weed right now. Or like, I really need to go have a beer or something. It's like, okay. Well, what's happening here? This feels definitely like some kind of firefighter thing going on. And, um, for some reason that model just is like giving me this way to, to be with that process and understand it a little more and be like, okay, this isn't like, problem that I have to get rid of. This is an evolutionary response to something that's been really hard to like live with and integrate. And there's a wisdom in it. And maybe it got distorted at some point. But um, yeah, so basically, that's just kind of like a roundabout way of how I've been meditating lately, which I, I don't know if I can even call it meditation anymore but like it's you know just being quiet and going inward and dialoguing and having conversations with like these parts of my mind Mm -hmm. these parts of myself like having conversations internally um so i guess that that gives me a way of like your because your original question was kind of around like this how do i disentangle from like the ego concepts yeah, like the the pieces of yourself, you know, that we become attached to that cause suffering in your day to day 
Yeah. So yeah, kind of understanding it in that framework rather than like, oh, I am this, like this response is me. Mm. Just like, okay, well, this response is happening. It's here. But like IFS, internal family system has that concept of the capital S self, which is like the seat of consciousness that we all have that's enduring and immutable. And so it's, it's like a place to connect to at all times to engage with these other parts that um, are not me at my essence, mm -hmm. their responses and yeah, these, these uh, sub personalities or whatever. And then another, the other way that came to mind um, is writing and specifically writing fiction because basically characters in a story I kind of engage with as parts myself. And so if I, uh, like, I'll just give an example. I've recently started writing this short story because I noticed that inside myself, I have these two parts that are in a lot of conflict. One of them is what I would call like a needy part. And like, I'm finding this is coming up in relationship in this, um, a new relationship I'm in this like I want to like be around you more and I want more affection like this this neediness and there's so much judgment around that so much judgment and so like this um, really intense inner critic comes in when that neediness comes up and it's just like get the f out of here like this is weakness like you're not allowed to be here and so I like named these two parts and so like the needy part, I just gave the name of Ned to, and this right. inner critic, <laughs> I gave the name of Dennis to. And so I started writing the short story where this two roommates named Ned and Dennis, that really don't get along, live in this place together. And just kind of started like following images of like personifying these parts and writing out their conflict in a fictionalized setting. And that just kind of gives this way of like externalizing an inner process and engaging it from a slight place of removal of being the narrator of this, which I think could be like a, a gateway into connecting with that capital S self. Um, and then I just get to kind of follow the process instead of just being so caught in it and like observe it a little more and get curious about it. So that's a fun way to, to do that too. I love that so much um, because you take your, your passion for writing and you turn it into, you know, like a, like a two-sided benefit for yourself. One benefit is that writing this thing out um, is, is a therapeutic process for you as you're doing it. Like you're, you're in a process of, self-discovery and you're working through like these these inner conflicts and things like that and then the second benefit is that you're actually producing like a piece of artwork with your therapeutic process that you can share with other people who can also connect on that level and like you're healing yourself through the writing but then when you put your writing out there for others the, the healing process that you just went through is rippling out and helping to heal other people in their process. So I, I just love that. And I definitely want to get to um, talking about your writing here in a sec. Um, <clears throat> Cause that's how we were mostly introduced um, yeah. through your writing, but I wanted to go back to this internal family systems thing real quick. And I, 
I love like putting metaphors and, and images to things to help describe them in ways uh, that might be more digestible to some people in the audience. Um, and in my studies of uh, internal family systems, I never heard um, authors talk about it in this way, but this is sort of like how I pictured in my mind is that, um, you know, in, so it's almost like, have you ever seen the movie? Um, uh, what is it? Uh, ha- uh, not happy. Um, geez, I for- I'm forgetting the name of the movie. It's an animated movie where um, there's all these different characters that live in this person's brain and um, yeah yeah inside out yeah one is like a happy and one is like a grumpy you know yeah yeah Uh i love love using animation (laughs) animated movies they're so they're so insightful but in my in my own visualization i picture like inside my skull there being like this circular uh boardroom table you know that you would find in like a like a corporate boardroom and at, you know, there's maybe like 15 different seats around the table. One seat is little S uh, self Shane, uh, which is the ego. Then there's like angry Shane. Then there's happy Shane. Then there's aloof Shane. Then there's all these different like characters, right? The firefighter Shane, um, scapegoat, the one that they always blame for their problems. Totally, uh, the exile, yeah. <laughs> the exiles forced under the table. He's not even allowed to sit there, right? But then oh, yeah. uh, this concept of big S in internal family systems, like your, your true higher self um, is sort of like the executive of the board and he sits um, and it's still a circular table. So every, every aspect of, of self inside of uh, inside of my mind and around this table has an equal value at the table. They're all valued um, and that's why it's a circular table, like the like the round table of King Arthur. You know, everyone has a say, but it also needs to be balanced, right? It's it's a perfect circle, so it needs to be balanced. It's not like an oblong circle where certain people at the ends of the table have more say than others, but it needs to be balanced in that they're all important. They all need to have a say, but the executive, the big S, has the final say. So, you know, if... if um, if angry Shane at the table stands up and starts banging his hands on the table, making a ruckus, um, you know, and then firefighter Shane jumps in and starts like trying to put out the fire, big S the executive can be like, Whoa, all you guys need to sit down and we need to do this together. Right. So for me using that internal family system um, model, I try and, or I, I seek to find that balance between the different versions of self and you can't, you can't destroy any of those, right? That seat has right. to be filled. If you, if you attempt to destroy a piece of that, uh, that round table, it's going to be filled, right? There's, there's no vacuum that can exist there. And I don't want to see what's going to come to the table if, if I let go of a piece of myself. So I just wanted to mention that about like how I visualize it. And maybe that's helpful to somebody out there who's listening. Um, yeah. It's helpful to me. Oh, um, good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that round idea because I've, I've had that table image come to mind too, but I never thought of it in a round way. It was always rectangular, but I love that idea of like everyone's equidistant from the person across from them. There's like this equality to the structure. And I also love that you connected it to like, king arthur and like mm-hmm. the knights of the round table and like I, I just love when you we 
put our personal experiences and like find these like mythological mm-hmm. connections. It's like, oh yeah, this is archetypal. Mm-hmm. Like this connects us. Well, yeah, and you know me well enough by now to know that uh, I am a warrior through and through. Um, you know, yeah. in, in my external life, I I try and be a warrior through my martial arts. Um, I try and be a, a warrior for, you know, social justice issues and, um, you know, drug policy advocacy and all these things in the external world. But internally, like almost all my ar- archetypes and the way that I, I think of myself are in this context of warrior cultures. Um, it's just been my my mode of reference for the longest time. Um, and I hope to share with you a little bit of my own um, hero's journey in my Jungian uh, with my therapist in a little bit, but, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. when we get to talking about our cap trainings, um, but I want to first, um, get back to writing and talk to you about your writing because, um, I think how, how I came to know you, um, I believe I first saw you at our very first, um, meeting of the Denver psilocybin panel when we were actually meeting in person in Denver. Um, and I saw you and, uh, this other woman who was with you and you guys came to the first meeting and uh, I didn't meet you there, but I saw you. And then later that day uh, I saw you again in a totally different city in Fort Collins, Colorado. <laughs> That's right. um, and we were both attending the, uh, the NOAC uh, psychedelic professionals meeting. And I was like, I just saw you and now you're here again. This must mean something that I'm seeing you twice in one day, this person that I've never met. Um, and then we ended up connecting and, um, you know, we talked and, and you ended up like, uh, interviewing me and writing this piece about, uh, me and, and flow states and psychedelics and things like that. Um, and then we became more and more enmeshed in each other's lives and our, our paths, uh, have, um, overlapped more and more, which I'm, I'm, I love, and I'm more and more excited. The more things we get to do together, uh, we've shared some really cool conversations and experiences up in the mountains, under the stars, around campfires, um, and, uh, you know, really deepened our connection. And so I want to get back to to the writing piece, because that's sort of how we first really connected. Um, and how I think that was that was how our first, you know, at least hour long conversation was was centered around your writing. And uh, can you can you just speak a little bit about like, how you got into writing, uh, what you're currently doing with your writing. Um, you've already talked about your fictional writing and, and how that is a personal process for you, but how else do you use writing in your life? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, one, one detail of the, that day that you were talking about when we met, I wanted to add, which is connected to this question, was... Um, I had that basically a super cool experience. Like who's this, this dude, like I just I had this desire to, to strike up a conversation with you. And at the NOAC meeting, they had this icebreaker question of like who anyone living or dead, would you want to take psychedelics with? And like very quickly to my mind, I'm like Hunter S Thompson. And it came to you before it came to me. And you were like, I would, trip with Dr. Hunter S. Thompson. Yep. I was like, damn, like really got to talk to this guy. I and mean, we got the same person. So Hunter S. Thompson was somewhere at the meeting point. Oh yeah. But, yeah. So mm-hmm. that kind of, I mean, when I was first getting into writing about uh, 
decade ago. Um, it was actually parallel with when I first got into psychedelics and when I first started traveling, they just kind of all go hand in hand, but I came upon people like Hunter S. Thompson and the Beats, like Kerouac and Ginsburg and Neil Cassidy and Kesey and just um, somehow all of that like dovetailed into like a newfound interest in uh, fiction and um, fiction as this process of uh, expression and engagement with the self and meaning making and communication. And um, yeah, I just kind of got obsessed with it. And this was like the end of my college career. So I was, I had been studying philosophy and just decided to pick up an English minor my senior year. And I ended up taking a screenwriting course. And over the course of the semester, we produced like an 80 page screenplay. And I just found like that writing creatively just, stimulated my spirit in a way that essay writing which I still enjoyed didn't and I just kind of haven't stopped doing it ever since and but yeah that's that's one way that I engage with it is through like creating stories but like then there's this other realm of journalism or interviews or you know pretty much all related to psychedelics at this point and that's been that's kind of become this way to like learn more mm. and just learn more about topics. I don't know anything about like finding these like blips that pop up that sounds so fascinating. And then, you know, being really lucky to be in Boulder and Fort Collins and Denver where tons of people are into this stuff and practicing it. And then basically just getting to interview people like you and people like, like Scott Shannon and, um, just a, a whole bunch of people around here who are really deep into fascinating topics like flow state for you. Like I had just kind of be become aware of that and you were talking about it, I think in our first conversation, it's like, oh, perfect. Like I can get to know Shane better. I can get to know this concept better and write a piece about it. Um, so yeah, that's that's really been my entry into this whole psychedelic professional world is like following this trail of breadcrumbs like okay I'm going into this topic and then I learn about this bigger topic I'm going into this by interviewing this person and meeting this person um and it ultimately led me to pursuing my second master's which I'm doing now at Naropa to become a psychedelic therapist which I never would have done had I not started interviewing people and writing these articles mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what that is, I suppose. Right now I'm starting a new piece for psychedelics today about group psychedelic therapy, which we've started to, you know, I've started to connect about a little bit and, um, I'm fascinated to learn more about that and the few people who are practicing that and what that could look like. Um, and then I still do some like reflective writing that's just, you know, pausing kind of meditating, looking at what's present for me, processing the day or processing important things, just stream of consciousness kind of stuff that doesn't have any intent other than to just like be there with the movement of the pen. I, I always write by hand, 
So there's like something ritualistic mm. about just like opening the journal and using the pen and like having the physical process of it without screens. Yeah, it's almost like turning your writing practice into a ceremony by doing that and engaging that ritualistic pen to paper. Um, I mean, it's it's literally like connecting you physically to the word and to the paper. Um, one, you, you named all these wonderful authors um, when you first got into it, and I love almost all of them. Um, not the biggest fan of like the the beat authors, although I've read some of them. Um, it's a little dry for, for my taste, but I love Ken Kesey. Um, <clears throat> Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test was like one of my favorite books when I first uh, started down this path. Hunter S. Thompson is by far one of my top three uh, authors that I like, or journalists that I like to read from. Um, and his Gonzo style is just so different and amazing than any other writer. Uh, have you ever like tried to emulate um, his style and, and try and write in the Gonzo style? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I first started writing this psychedelic related stuff. It was all for the rooster magazine mm-hmm. out of Boulder. And um, actually I, think <laughs> I wrote an article under a pseudonym um, for them, which was very Hunter inspired because I took some uh, LSD and went to a gun show Oh, nice. And, yeah, yeah, and just uh, wrote about my experience there. So it was very, like, narrative, like, you know, Gonzo's, like, he's in the story. It's not just what's happening externally. It's an interaction. It's wild interaction. So, yeah, I was, like, really trying to work, to, like, tap into the spirit of Hunter there while not just totally mimicking as well, like, um, bringing my own personal crap into it. But it was a blast, man. Was, and that was the only thing I ever wrote for them that they published in one of their like physical magazines. All other stuff's online. So apparently it kind of struck a nerve with their readers. Mm-hmm. So a- I love doing that, man. I'd, I'd love to do it more, actually. It's really fun. Yeah, I would love to experiment with that too. Right now, unfortunately, and fortunately, I'm steeped in academic writing and you know what that's all about you know in philosophy as a major all you're doing is reading and writing um so yeah there's very different rules of of engagement you know when you're doing academic writing you can't say certain things you can't express your opinion necessarily unless you're backing it up with um research or or citing someone else who also shares your opinion who's of actual relevance because as students you're not really seen as relevant in the academic published world um, until afterwards. So very different rules. Um, but someday I hope to, to be able to experiment a little bit more. I have uh, dreams and aspirations of publishing books, in, uh, you know, after my PhD, really because um, I'm just fascinated uh, by the written word for two reasons. One is um, just how, you know, it's, it's almost like a negative, um, it's like how limiting language is and how limiting uh, words are for expressing, especially um, states of consciousness and altered states of consciousness that are really ephemeral, like you can't nail it down, you can't really describe it with words. And any time you try to, you just put a little bit of it in a box, um, and it, it doesn't fully explain it. So 
one of my interests is like, how can I better use language to, um, to explain the unexplainable? Um, but also, um, I really love how, and, and your writing is, is particularly good at this, um, how to use writing uh, as an actual expression of consciousness um, for meaning making, like you said, like, not only meaning making for myself, but like, how can my write, how can my writing influence um, the consciousness of others so that they themselves can make greater meaning out of their own life and experience. So I'm yeah. fascinated by those. And I hope to, I hope to explore those sometime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I have kind of an underlying philosophy that like, if I engage in that process, as I write that it kind of opens that potential for the reader as well to to so that's that's part of it as well yeah the hope that it can offer something to whoever ends up reading it to like think about themselves in a different way or think about basically just engage in their own internal process as Mm -hmm. facilitated through this external thing do you do any of that writing now are you just like i mean if you're in a phd program like i'm sure you're you've got kind of maxed out with how much writing you have to do for that yeah it's it's pretty much all academic writing now um which this is this is kind of a good segue into the next thing i wanted to talk about which is um you know our our individual experiences through um ketamine assisted psychotherapy training um that actually being part of a larger process for me uh, not only for my dissertation studies which is focused on ketamine assisted psychotherapy and the mystical state experience but but i have been um i've been working really hard for the last couple years on this uh personal process you know, related to my default mode network um, and my programming in that, you know, I grew up with a single mom um, who was, you know, married a number of times, but I never really connected with any of the stepfathers, never really had a father figure, always sought that in my life. And then my little brother was there with us. So we were like this trio. And because of some of the ways um, my mom treated my brother and I, and the way that I interacted with my mom. Um, I found myself in my adult life being still really bound up in and not um, individuated from my ideas of her, right? So I found myself in my, especially during my addictive years um, with alcohol and, and some, some other harder drugs, um, most of my inner dialogue and those conversations I was having with myself were, I mean, they were in my voice. They sounded like me saying them, but the more I looked at them, they weren't me saying those things. It was a memory of my mom telling me those things about myself. Like you're never going to be good enough or, um, you know, why even try? Or, you know, I don't believe that you can ever do that or whatever, you know, and I had internalized those and they had become part of me. And then I misidentified them as like, oh, this is my voice telling me this when really, yeah, it was just me staying attached to that memory of, of my mom and how she treated me. So this pattern like followed me in my psyche uh, up until, uh, you know, very recently. And for the last couple of years, I've been working with a Jungian therapist for my own personal process and my own therapy. Um, and 
we've been working within the model of uh, the hero's journey, and I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Um, you know, it's it's this uh, this monomyth that most, um, if not all, stories that are told sort of follow in some way or another. Um, most movies all follow this same sort of uh, mythological structure, and. So my therapist and I, we, we've been working through this process of, uh, so the intention going in is like this individuation from this memory that I hold of my mom that's really like, it's locking up and trapping um, this uh, like libido energy inside of me that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's draining energy and resources from this internal fire, this internal source that I have just to pay attention to like, these aspects, uh, these memories that I have of my mom. And so this process of individuation, my intention behind it was like, I need to become my own independent person. I need to detach or disentangle myself from these, um, these memory formations and these thoughts that were implanted by my mom. And I need to reclaim this uh, libidinal, uh, fire energy for myself so that I can like pour it out into my passions and what I love. And I can fully become present and fully arrive in this world, um, and do what I need to do, what I'm put here on this earth to do. And so I've been working through this hero's journey with him. And for the last six months, I've been stuck in, um, the Valley of the dead souls, um, which, uh, for anybody not familiar is like, it's like almost halfway through the story. The Valley of the Dead Souls is this this dark, mysterious place uh, that you, you can't really see much. Um, it's really uh, frightful, and and there's a lot of fear there because you're you're approaching the grand ordeal or like this big battle that you have to do. And um, for me, that battle included you know climbing to like this Mount Olympus type mountain and slaying this dragon, which represented this memory of, of what I held to be my mom. Um, this is kind of like your inner visualization. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, the inner narrative that I'm, I'm doing. And um, you know, he, he asked me to, to write it out. He said, write your own hero's journey. And I haven't been able to bring myself to do that. Um, and so instead um I've utilized uh, medicine work um, to to engage with that process. And I've done um, medicine work in the float tanks to try and engage that work, uh, to try and tap into that level of consciousness. And then in particular, like I did this uh, training a couple weekends ago with uh, the Psychedelic Research and Training Institute. Um, and it was a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy training, which you've done yourself um, over the summer. And I did this training to try and, um, number one, uh, first and foremost, become a better clinician uh, to be able to provide ketamine-assisted psychotherapy um, more ethically and um, better to my clients. But also it, it includes an experiential component where we, uh, we take the medicine, you know, we take a, a high-dose intramuscular ketamine uh, session, and then we do a low-dose uh, psycholytic um, oral solution of ketamine and you know really using the model of like we need to experience what our clients are going to experience if we're going to be effective at all you know and I truly believe in that and so those experiences um, the low dose actually in particular became extremely 
helpful for me in my hero's journey with this Jungian therapist. Um, and so we first did the, uh, the high dose IM session. We were up in the mountains of Boulder a couple weekends ago. And I went in with that intention, like, okay, let's go slay this dragon. Let's do this. Um, and that's not what I was shown, you know, um, I was shown in my, um, you know, I had what could be considered a mystical experience, uh, during that high dose session, but I was shown more like, um, things that I've seen before, like, uh, the medicine showed me how through metaphor, sort of how, uh, the universe is constructed, uh, how individual consciousnesses are constructed, how they interact, um, this time using uh, use the metaphors of, of bubbles um, in my in my visualization, which was quite pleasant. Um, but then, right in the middle of our training, um, the fire broke out in Boulder, uh, the new wildfire, and it ended up only being like a few miles away from the the training center that we were at. Um, you know, we could hear like propane tanks from houses blowing up and that is Whoa. definitely not a good setting for psychedelic experiences, right? No. You don't, you don't want to be on ketamine when, um, when the fire department shows up and says, you all need to mandatorily evacuate, you know, and you're disembodied, you know, trying to move around and figure this thing out. So yeah. we decided to, leave that location. And, um, we, uh, we reconvened at the holiday Inn in North Boulder where most of us were staying and we finished out the training there. And, um, we did our psycholytic low dose oral sessions there. And I'd only had one previous, uh, low dose, uh, ketamine therapy session. Um, and it was more like a low dose group process sec- session where we were, taking it at a low dose as a, as a professional group and trying to um, problem solve with each other sort of on this higher level of consciousness when we were still um, um, able to consciously talk with each other. And it was really interesting. I think that would be a great um, aspect of the, the writing that you're exploring as far, as far as group process and psychedelics. Uh, this low dose sort of raises the consciousness of everybody in the group so that you can all be super creative and, and, um, uh, you know, engage ingenuity and things like that in this higher level together. Um, but anyway, during this low dose session, nothing was happening. Nothing was happening for about 30 minutes or so. And then, um, all of a sudden, you know, I got these amazing images, uh, you know, the, the hero's journey that I was on, um, picked up, where, where I had left, uh, left off in the, in the Valley of the dead souls. And, um, you know, this image of, of me as my warrior self, uh, who had recently been, um, intertwined with my inner child and who healed each other, um, went on this, this battle journey up this mountaintop, you know, which was on fire in my, in my visualization, because that had just happened. So it's on fire. We go up the mountain, we see this dragon who's very elusive and trying to hide behind the, the, uh, the mountain. And I'm just like, stay calm, stay calm. Don't let it smell your fear. You got this, you know, staying in this meditative state. And then this dragon comes straight at me in my visualization and attacks me. And, uh, you know, like a samurai warrior would, I just like, I slashed at it, but it was not 
it had a totally different feeling than what I anticipated. Like I thought I'd be like slashing away at this thing in, in anger and like, fuck you. I'm going to kill you. Get out of me. Stop, you know, leave me alone. But instead the ketamine was holding me in almost like an MDMA type space where when I slashed at this dragon, I didn't defeat it with anger, but what came out of my sword was pure love and gratitude you know, and I was just like, oh my God, like, I am so grateful for my mom and everything she did for me. And I love you so much. And I'm never going to let you go. You're, you're always going to be a part of my heart, but you cannot control me anymore. I will not allow these attacks on my consciousness anymore. And then the dragon just dissolved in front of me. And uh, it was the most beautiful, blissful feeling, um, I feel like, like right after that, I got the the treasure at the end of that ordeal uh, that you get. And for me, the treasure was just like this flooding feeling. Again, fire coming up in my visualization because we were the mountain was just on fire. This feeling of like pink and red flames in my heart space, and my heart just could not hold it anymore, and it just burst open through my chest, like these flames. I'm seeing like come into the room and and totally. Uh, engross the room and the hotel and the entire state of Colorado with all the wildfires and every human being in the entire world. And so like, that's this treasure that I got was uh, I, I, I reclaimed that inner fire that I had, uh, that had been like been stifled my whole life. Um, and I, I felt like I individuated and fully felt what I'm what my potential is, what my capability is, and what my my purpose in this lifetime monomyth hero's journey is, which is I reclaimed this this inner fire energy, and now it's my job to bring it back to the world and to share this flame with everyone. And so I had these visualizations of like this this fire just pouring out of my chest and these little embers like floating out to the world and landing like each ember was landing on someone who was suffering and it was lighting them on fire with passion and love and gratitude. And so like these little embers are just getting spread out throughout the world and, and lighting everyone on fire with love. And uh, it was, it was freaking phenomenal, dude. And um, so my cap training became one of the most healing experiences uh, for me in my life. Um, and I'm, I'm so very grateful for the opportunity to do that. It was amazing. That's sort of like how I've been telling stories in my life is, is through this hero's journey uh, construct. Yeah. Dude, that was, that was epic. Damn. <laughs> I was, I was so into that. Just like in the journey with you, man, I feel really impacted by that experience that you just shared. The coolest part is like, I didn't even have to write anything. I didn't have to write it out in a story. Like I had, like my facilitator was sitting right there next to me and he was like a scribe. He wrote every single thing I said during the journey. Oh yeah. Narrating it a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was speaking the whole time about it. I was talking to the dragon and talking to myself and, and narrating it. And so I have like this eight page handwritten document um, (laughs) that is like, my, my big ordeal that I, now I get to take this document to my Jungian therapist and have him like analyze it. 
pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. I have several questions. Yeah, please. Yeah, man, there's a lot here. Um, shit. Okay. Uh, one is, so there's, you had this experience with the ordeal, the climbing the mountain and the dragon. Um, before the, this ketamine session, did you, were you already engaging with that image? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so actually like a, a couple months ago, I jumped in the float tank here in Fort Collins and I uh, was in an altered state and was, was in the float tank and um, was, you know, I went in with the same intention, like, okay, let's do this. Like, let's do this ordeal. And what was shown to me was um, first I was shown, like, I'm still in the Valley of the dead souls. And this, this beautiful uh, woman came to me uh, in that place. And, um, you know, she ended up being my, my inner, my inner feminine energy. The anima. Yep. The anima. Um, Her name was Sophia. Um, And, you know, I had this conversation with her. I'm like, I'm, I'm afraid of this ordeal can you show me, uh, can you be with me? You know, what's going to happen, uh, when I go up this mountain and all she did was like smirk at me and like smile and almost like laugh. And she's like, you already know what's going to happen. You already know. And then immediately after she said that I was almost like shown this, uh, movie reel of like, this is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to go up this mountain and you're going to, you're going to be calm in the experience and you're going to go in and you're going to slay this dragon and you're going to, um, you know, honor it and, and show gratitude. And you're going to get this, uh, this reward at the end. And so I was sort of shown this um, future projection of what was going to happen. And so when I went into this ketamine experience during the training, yeah, I already had some of those images already in my mind and sort of the, this confidence that like, I already know how this is going to turn out. I know I'm going to win this thing. Uh, I just have to go through it. So yeah, I already had those. Yeah. And it, it sounds like the way that you won it was in a way that you hadn't fully anticipated. Yeah, it came out totally differently. And, um, you know, I could not... I think my whole life I was trying to kill that dragon with anger and resentment and, and yeah, just negative, negative forces, but you can't kill the dragon that way. Right. Yeah. It reminds me of what you were saying about the table. Like if this dragon is a part at the table, you can't just banish it or like, Mm -hmm. you know, give the Dr. Evil button and like send it down into the fire. Like, changing your relationship with it perhaps and meeting it with a different energy seems like it was a a big part of like dissolving its um grip yeah dissolving its power by power giving it its due attention and giving it the all, all it wanted was to be noticed and to be loved and as soon as i did that as soon as i said i see you and i love you and I'm so grateful for you. Yeah. It it dissolved. The power went out of it. And they talk about that in internal family systems too, like turning to these different parts and meeting them with love and compassion of the self and like how all of them really are just trying to protect you 
in a way it doesn't feel like that and like it may not be obvious and it could be hard but like you can have these dialogues with them and realize that they're here not just to like make your life a living hell but to to do something that you know, got distorted at some point or like was needed a long time ago and isn't needed anymore yeah exactly man that's powerful stuff man that's so cool you had that experience um yeah i wish i could share i wish we had time today that i could share all the details with you but you know i still i have that narrative and uh you know maybe another time when when we're not uh, not doing a podcast on a time constraint or anything like that maybe i'll i'll get more in depth with it but um i i knew you would appreciate it just because uh of the hero's journey aspect of it yeah and how, how it is, it is, it does tell a story, you know, and it tells a story and we all tell a story in our lives. You know, we all tell our own hero's journey and we can either be the hero or we can be the victim, you know, and I choose to be the hero of my own story. And um, yeah, I choose to be the victor. I choose to come out on top and, and be a better person because of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you engage the process with respect and like respect of the different um, steps. You know, it's not just like speeding your way to victory. It's like, oh, I'm in this valley of the dead souls for a while and it's kind of sucks to be here, but this is where I am. And like, I'm engaging with this place until I'm ready, until I like am able to go to this next place. And that's what I love about the heroes journey the monomyth is like yeah we see it externalized in these stories and you can study like so many hollywood movies and just map it out perfectly according to it but it's like well there's a reason that these stories we love these stories there's a reason that so many people love star wars and the matrix because yeah they follow that pattern and it's because that pattern exists inside of us and because by watching this we are experiencing an internal process that is archetypal and like eternal is ongoing and so you know i hear you like engaging in that internal structure that's inside all of us that isn't just you know the story of neo going mm-hmm. into the real world but like this story of of shane finding like the images within yourself of these same steps of the same process of going through all these different places to you know over overcome the the great ordeal the great trial like neo's doing kung fu with agent smith and you're fighting this dragon on top of mount olympus like Mm -hmm. that's why we can keep telling the stories because it's it's endless with the amount of ways that we can and images that we can engage in it and i think like having that engaging in that personal process is just like so there's so much therapeutic potential there because like you're engaging in these images but these images mean something huge to you yeah yeah the symbolism behind them holds so much uh so much weight you know yeah yeah um so i i I know you've been through the training too. Um, and what an amazing training it, it is. Um, 
yeah i mean assisted psychotherapy training that prati puts on and i was i was hoping to hear about your experience um because last time we got together was up in the mountains around the campfire and you had just finished your training i believe like the week before um but we didn't get much time to to actually sit down and talk about um how it was for you and and what it was like uh to be in those those spaces for you and you know how it helped you in your process yeah man tough act to follow man. yeah <laughs> it was not as epic yeah <laughs> it was amazing like it was perfect and everything I needed. Um, that's a, yeah, that's exactly for how I, if I, you know, take, take the narrative away from it, but that's what I would say about mine. Like it was everything that I needed to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there's still, there's some like parts of it that are still so fresh that I don't, um, I can't, I can't go into like super detail. Um, but basically I had a very, uh, um, tough situation, um, relationship situation that, um, have been really, uh, consuming me, my mind for a while. Um, just a lot of confusion, just trying to figure out like, what's my heart saying? What's my mind saying? Like, is this right place for me to be? Do I, should I move on? Where's, where's fear? Where's myself? Just this like confused entanglement of my inner process that um, just found really, really, really hard to navigate um, and like find a center in. And you know, it was going on for a while, just going through these cycles. And um, I really came in looking for insight, like for, for my heart to show me like how I, what I know beneath all the confusion. Um, and that was my, that was my intention going in. It was that specific situation um and it was it was really there was a lot of like pain alive in it like i was really stressed and i and when i showed up to the training the first thing i did was you know go through the vitals the medical um check and my blood pressure was like high which isn't normal um and they were saying that there could have been some faultiness with the readers but like it made sense with the state of mind I was in. I was so stressed and just, um, I don't know. I, I don't, maybe I was in some kind of a valley of the lost souls. It was this feeling of being like lost from myself. Like um, when I came in and yeah, even in the high dose session where like for quite a bit of it, I had, no idea what was going on or like who I was like I just remember this voice coming in like I think this is the experience I think this is that ketamine experience we're here for like there was no real orientation but somehow still like that intention circled around 
in that space and like I connected to that whole um, coex system web of interconnections and the answer was right there it wasn't even like a process it wasn't like it, it was just like here's your heart this is what you know like and I, I felt like those thoughts and um ego gripping is kind of like trying to come in but that ketamine i think just gives such an amazing space to allow those to like just float away and like it not be painful like it felt so supportive that those could just like pass and I remember entering a place and i just had this thought because i was still trying to like make meaning in the experience and make sense and this thought went through and it was like um like you don't need words here or like words aren't welcome here and it's just like gave me permission to let go of like words mm. and i wasn't thinking in words anymore it was just like moving through my body and a really deep like felt wisdom that was very sensory and live and yeah all that all the answers were right there and then i came out and was like elated and like you know euphoric for a while like wow wow i got all these insights and then you know a few hours later start like questioning it again like okay but that was you know a high dose ketamine experience is that really what my heart's telling me or you know ego started coming in and um then the next day was the low dose and so i just was so grateful for another opportunity like okay well i had this experience once let's see what it's like at a lower dose and same thing same experience heart told me the exact same thing and both times like um chris chris pateros who had led our kind of ceremony around it she in encouraged or at least invited us to like call in allies like spirit guides so i well i thought of just particular friends and they they came into the experience like even in the dissociated state it was like just having that clear intention of like yeah i'd like this spirit or this person to be a part of it and like they they entered it and i felt their wisdom they shared their wisdom in that state um but yeah it it very much cleared away the confusion and the strife in those states and just presented me with like here's here's your truth like you know this you've known this things have gotten in the way but like this is it and it's it's blasted like it is it was right you know like mm -hmm. i've been integrating that for months the months since and um fighting it at times struggling with it but it was all it's all proven valid wow that heart space is so difficult sometimes for us to um to work with especially i think as as men you know because part of our mm -hmm default mode network programming unfortunately is um being told since we're really young that um the heart space is sort of off limits to us right um, yeah we need to remind remain in the rational uh mind and take care of business so totally 
it's been a big and that's what i was trapped in was yeah over processing like yeah. rationally mentally like yep. there's no answer there it's just like this cyclical stuckness in this over rumination default mode network thing the heart space that like you said a lot of men aren't like <laughs> are barred from access from yeah i had all the answers yeah yeah early on in my um recovery from my alcoholism um uh, my one of my sponsors told me uh this thing that has stuck with me forever and it's so true he said no matter how far you travel in the world no matter what you go and do if you go to space if you do all these things the longest journey you're ever going to take is between your head and your heart and i was like wait a minute that's only like a foot and a half distance at first <laughs> that's not a very but the longer i sat with that i was like oh man he's so right like trying to travel from just that cognitive headspace and and travel into that heart space to really move through the world more from the heart space um, is a really long and difficult and challenging journey for us to make. But in the little glimpses that I've gotten when I have been able to live through that heart space, oh my goodness, like the world just starts to shimmer. Everything around me is just so amazing and so beautiful. Uh, I view myself so much more beautifully, you know, when I can travel to that heart space and live through that heart space. I'm nicer to people. I'm nicer to my dogs, you know, everything just seems like it's, it's all well, it's all okay. And as soon as my as soon as I go back up to this space up in my mind it's like all the chatter and all the things that could be wrong and all the um you know all the catastrophizing and everything else that that seems to come in and, and cause that suffering hmm. yeah. you can start another podcast conversations with the heart oh yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a few too many though yeah, I'm not really not really that versed in the hard space yet, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe someday uh, when I'm there. Yeah, nice, man. Well, thanks for sharing me sharing with me and the audience that experience. I mean, I could I could feel that pain um, in your in your voice when you were talking, and I could I could also feel the relief from that pain too when you talked about messaging that you received um while in that space so thank you i mean it's it's amazing to be able to feel and and see that process and the healing happen to you like right in front of me on this screen even though we're not in person you know i can still connect with you on that way totally yeah i felt that when you were sharing your story too like yeah you almost brought me to tears like when you were talking about how the sword changed to from anger to compassion and love and it started to dissolve. It's just, mm. yeah, so powerful what you can experience with this. I mean, specifically ketamine, which is available. It's incredible. Yeah, available and legal treatment. Yep. Um, well, I'm super stoked for you and your your journey through um, through yourself, 
number one, most importantly, but also in this endeavor that you're undertaking at Naropa um, to become a, a psychedelic assisted therapist. I'm so stoked for you to be there doing that work. Um, you are much needed in this field. Um, you know, I hear frequently from, from others in this field who have, uh, who I've held space for or who I've journeyed with that, um, that I bring a particular um, strength and grounding and, and a certain type of energy um, that's very helpful in those spaces. Uh, you know, people have told me like that I embody like mountain type energy, uh, just very grounded and, and steady, um, unwavering. And I feel that from you too, you know, as a, as a person in these psychedelic spaces, um, and we're few and far between, you know, you won't meet, or I haven't met too many people in uh, doing, you know, doing psychedelic work or psychedelic integration or, or whatever, who, who embody that much needed grounding energy, you know, um, mostly I encounter people who are pretty lofty and, and uh, mm-hmm. pretty light sure. and floating around, you know, uh, with their energy um, so I'm, I'm super happy that you're getting into it. Um, I, I feel bonded to you on that level. Uh, and Likewise, I hope that, yeah. Yeah, that you and I can, um, can go forward and, and help a lot of people and, and share what, what gifts we were given, you know, as, as the men that we are. Yeah. Thanks Shane. I appreciate that. And, um, I'm glad you've gotten that feedback too, because actually when I was, describing a while ago the ayahuasca experience and how that guy came over to help me and how he had that energy as I was describing that my mind like paralleled you with him with your energy and just this grounded strength that mountain energy so I feel that from you too and that energy helps me in that state and I'm sure that you're already helping a lot of people by embodying that and we'll continue to do so. And yeah, man, I'm stoked that we're sharing this journey in all these ways and that we get to keep learning from each other and helping each other and exploring these dimensions. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even have enough time to get to talking about flow tanks or talking about, um, uh, your, your passion for lifting, uh, lifting weights or, um, both of our shared passion for combining psychedelics and exercise and sport and things like that. So, um, we'll have to have more conversations in the future about that, but, um, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today. I know that it has been, it's always amazing for me to get to know you better and to just talk with you. But, um, I feel like a lot of the things that you, shared and a lot of the things that you helped bring out of me today are going to help a lot of people who are going to hear this so thank you for being a part of it absolutely yeah thanks for bringing me into it shane and yeah thanks to anyone listening for going on this journey with us it was i I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it awesome so for all you listeners out there take care of yourselves pay attention to those thoughts that you're feeding yourself it's part of your diet And uh, they will solidify into whatever you are attending to. So attend to the good, be nice to each other, be compassionate, um, and uh, check out the hero's journey. It might be something that, uh, that you can find useful. So until next time, this has been Conversations with the Mind. See ya.
Wow. Thank you so much, Sean, for the interview um, or the conversation, really. Uh, I don't really want to call it an interview because that's not really the format of this show. But thank you, Sean, uh, for this conversation and allowing me to record it. Um, I always appreciate being able to record these conversations with dear friends. Um, well, because I learn a lot in the process, but also because afterwards I can always you know, refer back to this archived conversation to pick apart the things that we talked about uh, in greater depth. So thank you so much, Sean. I hope to have you back on the show very, very soon. And for all you listeners out there, I really hope that you enjoyed the show. Um, I feel like Sean and I traversed a a lot of different topics and and really talked a great deal about some of the underlying uh, metaphysics and philosophy that we all sort of We all sort of tap into a little bit and get curious about um, during our time here on Earth, or hopefully we do. But Sean and I, I feel like today we we peeled back a number of different layers, and hopefully it was useful to some of you out there to further expand your own exploration of consciousness and help you dig a little bit deeper. So again, thank you, uh, Sean. Thank you to the listeners. Keep coming back and keep listening to the show. Uh, If you feel so inclined, you can always donate to the show and help us bring a better and clearer message to you and also bring um, some high-profile guests that we'd like to have on the show that require some amount of um, payment for uh, for their time because they're really, really busy and high-profile people. Um, so thank you. Please like and share on all social media this podcast. Also, let people know through word of mouth uh, where you're getting your consciousness information. And let's expand this conversation out past our minds and into the minds of society at large and hopefully the world. Let's change the world, folks. It's up to us. So until next time... Thank you so much, and we'll see you in a few. Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored, as always, by MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. Come check us out. We're an eclectic counseling company providing both mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, and military individuals through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement through mental training, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We're available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. Thank you for listening to the show, and please go check us out, mindops.com and the MindOps YouTube page.